Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Climb Podcast. My name is Nathan Mize, the producer of this show. Um, we have our first interview podcast with the CFO of Southwind, the one and only Tyler Stasek. Before we get started, I just want to give a quick editor's note. Because of the length of the conversation, we're splitting it up into two parts. So what you're hearing right now is part one, and then next week will be part two, where they'll just pick up the conversation. Both are going to be fantastic episodes, but we just want to split it up to make it more digestible for you. So a lot of great pieces of advice and information from Tyler. So make sure you're listening in. Make sure you're subscribed to Bolt TV on YouTube to be notified when all these episodes come out, as well as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's all I got. Enjoy the episode. They gonna need a village because they messing with the realest. I can let them blur the vision. Started from the bottom, but I promise I'm a breakthrough. I ain't been on business. Welcome to episode two of the Climb Leaders on the Rise. We are really, really excited uh, for our guests that we have in house today, and I'm going to read you a few stats uh, to back up how awesome of a leader uh, this person is. Took a business in 2007 uh, where he did 13,000 in revenue with two trucks. What started in Jackson County, Missouri, now spans across 21 states and counting. With over 1,300 teammates and 501 vehicles on the road. That $13,000 business he took over in 2007 has grown into a $243 million empire. In 2024, that business we all know now as Southwind is set to serve over 350,000 customers and grow to over 2,000 teammates across the country. Yeah, some pretty amazing stuff. So, also, in addition to those, Bryce, uh, he's a numbers and financials guru. He started an E-Trade account uh, with, I think, his first paycheck from Hobby Lobby at like 15, 16 years old. Uh, he has a palate for fine cuisine. He could tell you the best restaurant in any city that you were in at any moment. Uh, diehard Green Bay Packers fan, which is obviously pretty damn good right now. Greatest shooting guard to ever come out of Joplin, Missouri. He stood on a corner of Blue Wig in the early days to get jobs on the schedule. He's begged a customer to take a hot tub for $25 uh, because his break-even point was around, I think, 250300 every single day when he first started his business in Kansas City. And there's many, many other stories, uh, obstacles that he's overcome. And, uh, you know, Bryce, we thought it was going to be a great way to start this uh, podcast to climb off with. Uh, man, the guy that, that, you know, one half of the duo that truly started it all and uh, one of the coolest stories I think we have. Uh, in Southwind. So uh, without any further ado, please welcome Tyler Stazak, everybody, uh, to the podcast. A little round of applause. So, Tyler. Appreciate you guys. Thank yeah, you. Thanks Absolutely. for joining us, man. So, you know, I'd love to hear more about like your background, your upbringing, your family, um, you know, things that you're interested in as a child, man. So like, give us the story of, of Tyler Stazak and how you became kind of who you are today. Yeah, so back to the beginning, uh, born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Big big win for the Packers this weekend. Very happy about that. Um, but lived there until I was in eighth grade. Summer of my eighth grade year, moved to Joplin, Missouri, uh, down in southwest Missouri, about three hours south of Kansas City. Um, and then went to high school there. Uh, like Aaron said, first job was at Hobby Lobby. Um, wasn't awesome. But, uh, <laughs> glad I'm here now. Um, but yeah, so uh, went to went to high school there. Uh, after that, moved out to California for a while. 
uh, and went to college out there and, you know, eventually settled in Kansas City. But yeah, I mean, as a kid, it was just uh, kind of typical boy upbringing, just lots of sports and, you know, games and athletics and stuff like that. And um, yeah. That's amazing, man. And, you know, I've, I've had the chance to come see your boys play, play a little sports. They roughed me up a little bit out on the golf course, you know, but when you think about your kids, you know, like how has that kind of inspired your journey, you know, along the way? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like everybody love my family very, very much and they're a, a super strong motivator. Um, and then my wife, Sarah as well. Um, you know, definitely they provided a lot of motivation and, um, sense of responsibility, but, uh, They've been incredible, incredible support every step along the way, uh, my wife especially, and um, big, big piece to the puzzle for sure. Love that. So I know when you moved to California, you know that started kind of a chapter in your life, right? And uh, what when, when you moved to California, what were your thoughts? Were you thinking about getting into business at that time? Did you know eventually this is where your route would take you, uh, getting into the businesses you got into, or what were the early aspirations for Tyler? Uh, why'd you go to college? What did you think you were going to do? And is that what you're doing right now? I guess I could say. <laughs> Short answer is no, but uh, yeah. So uh, I went to college two years down in Joplin. Uh, each summer, I interned at my uncle's company out in California um, and lived with him for three months and, you know, some, some experience out there. I was a computer science major, so I was uh, trying to be a software engineer. So that was my, my goal in life. Um, that's what I was doing over the summertime. That second summer, I came back to Joplin. Uh, it was 4th of July weekend and realized, wow, there's not as much opportunity in Joplin, Missouri as there was in San Francisco, California. <laughs> Maybe I should rethink the, the trajectory of my life. Uh, so I remember vividly being in my parents' living room, calling up my boss and my uncle and begging and pleading for them to let me stay in California and make me not come back to Joplin. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with Joplin, but I was just ready to move on to the next phase of my life. Uh, fortunately, they both said yes. Uh, ended up transferring uh, to San Jose State out there uh, and ended up living in San Francisco for seven years, uh, working as a software engineer. Um, certainly never, never knew that I was going to fall into junk removal or any of the other stuff that uh, we've done since. But yeah, that was that's how I got out there. Cool. Playing cards, and I think poker playing as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Supplementary so, income, playing some cards out there along with the, the software? Yeah, so I was uh, 20 years old when I moved out there. Um, you know, I don't think that I had $100 to my name. Uh, my uncle, when I called him asking if I could stay, he told me, well, I promised you could stay until the end of August, so you have until the end of August. So it was 4th of, 4th of July weekend. I think I had five weeks to... Uh, convinced somebody else to let me live with them, uh, started working uh, part, or I worked full-time, went to school part-time, uh, so I was, what I was doing was I was working, you know, like eight to, eight to five or whatever, and I was taking night classes from six to nine uh, in San Jose, uh, which is like an hour away from San Francisco, and then every night on my drive home, or not every night, but call it Three or four nights a week, I would stop off at the card club uh, and play poker, uh, you know, from call it 10 o'clock until maybe about two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it's funny to think about it and laugh, but like I viewed that as my second job. Like I was literally putting, you know, the last hundred dollars that I possessed on the table trying to 
to make it grow. Um, so I, I'm sure I've told you guys at some point, I actually give poker a lot of credit. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm advocating anybody go out gambling and that's the key to success, but uh, it definitely helped me get over my fear of losing money at least on odds and probabilities and yeah. all that stuff. Well, I think just the confidence that you can look at something like that as a second job, right? Like, mm. I know you, 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 you do things very, very well, and I know poker is definitely one of them. I mean, I was, I was charting everything. I was, you know, <laughs> documenting my results. I was calculating my revenue per hour. Um, that, that goes back to when I was 21 years old. I couldn't get in the card club when I was 20, not until I was 21. I know you definitely stand a better chance of me or Bryce walking in there. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> when did you first hear about 1-800-GOT-JUNK? Yeah, so uh, I was engaged at the time, uh, so, I, so I moved out there when I was 20. Uh, I was 26 years old. Um, Sarah, my wife, uh, born and raised in California, somehow I convinced her that moving to Kansas was the, the greatest opportunity of her life uh, to marry me and move to Kansas. So uh, we, were, we were engaged to be married, um, wanted to buy a house, start a family. I wanted to get in business for myself. Uh, her family was in Southern California. We couldn't afford to do either thing there. So, hey, let's move to Kansas City. It's close to Joplin, close to my family. That's kind of what the thought process was. So we, young and dumb, we both quit our jobs. We're moving to Kansas City. Uh, don't know a single person in Kansas City. Uh, my parents are three hours away. My sister's three hours away. Like literally, we're just packed up in the back of my Acura RSX and driving across the country, not knowing what the heck we're doing, but we're going to get married in a few months and we're going to live in Kansas City. Uh, so we're driving across the country, uh, and the story goes we're staying in a, a hotel in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is about halfway uh, from San Francisco to Kansas City. Um, I'm reading Entrepreneur Magazine, trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do when we get to Kansas City kind of got some responsibility now. I've, you know, convinced my wife to pick up and leave everything and move across the country. I better figure out what the hell I'm going to do. So I'm, I'm reading this magazine in Cheyenne, Wyoming. She looks over my shoulder, sees an ad for 1-800-GOT-JUNK uh, and says, oh, so-and-so that I used to work with, her husband uh, and her did 1-800-GOT-JUNK in San Francisco. I think they did pretty well. You should look at that. I said, I've never heard of it. It sounds like the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Uh, stupid idea. Uh, and somewhere between Cheyenne and Kansas City, I looked at it again, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let me take a look at this. Uh, there was a franchise for sale. Um, when we were doing the drive, it was February. Uh, by May, I had bought the business and opened it up, and, you know, kind of the rest is history. But all credit to my wife on that one. It was – she's the one who told me about it. Shout out Sarah, man. <laughs> yep. So, so the early days, so, so you just got into Kansas City, uh, you know, jumped into the 1-800-GOT-JUNK franchise model. I'm sure you got some very, very fun stories from the, from the first early days, uh, you know, of you doing it solo. And then, and then you know, after, after a year or two, maybe, uh, you know, we meet Josh Heron, and, uh, you know, that forms uh, what, what becomes the founding fathers of Southland, right, like where it all started. So we would love to hear about, you know, the early days, uh, we'll kind of we'll call it, I guess, pre-Josh, and then meeting Josh post-Josh. What were the early days of Southwind like? Yeah, so early days. So uh, get to Kansas City, February of '07. Uh, now I've heard about 1-800 Got Junk, trying to buy the business. Uh, 
the, the first business that we bought in, in Jackson County, Missouri, it was doing $150,000 a year. I'm trying to get a loan to buy the business. Uh, so shout out to my, my parents on this one. Um, couldn't get a loan. Nobody would give me any money. I was 26 and young and dumb and had no money, no experience. Why would anybody give me a loan? Uh, so, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even ask my parents, uh, as the way I remember it, but I'm talking to my dad on the phone and telling him what's going on. He's like, Oh, just, you know, I'll just put my house up as collateral on a loan. Uh, we'll just do it that way. And I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Like, and I just, I didn't understand the gravity of the situation, but you know, a couple weeks later, uh, I remember driving down to Joplin and I'm in a little tiny bank in Joplin. I don't even remember the name of it. Uh, but we're there and my parents are co-signing their house uh, away on this loan, on this business that I know nothing about. It was losing money at the time. Uh, and I remember looking over at my mom and she has this look on her face of what the hell are we doing right now? <laughs> like, uh, and that, that's seared into my memory. Um, so essentially not only was I, you know, my wife put everything that she knew on the line uh, to allow this to happen. Now my parents put their house on the line as yeah. well for this to happen. Uh, so the number was $762 a day, not 250 I had to do $762 a day was my break even, so my parents didn't lose their house. Uh, so early days, it was, uh, yeah, it was, first month was $13,000. That $762 a day is more than $13,000. So there was a gap on day one. Um, but yeah, just literally standing on street corners in a blue wig waving, yeah. you know, going door to door, banging on houses, trying to beg and plead for $50 to haul some stuff away, uh, $25 for a hot tub, you know, like literally anything and everything to hit that $762. Uh, we had two trucks. Uh, I started out with uh, two guys working with me. Their names were Joe and Jake, uh, father-son combo. And for the first year, uh, it was Tyler, Josh, or Tyler, Joe, and Jake. Um, I think our first 12 months, we, we took it from maybe 150000 to $275,000, $300,000. And then a year later, um, so, well, let me backtrack. So uh, February 2007, or sorry, May of 2007, started the business, went for a year, but at the same time, Josh was working in Johnson County in Kansas. Right. So we were neighboring franchises. So we'd met, uh, hung out, had a few beers, uh, along the way, well, you guys were kind of doing stuff, not 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 against each other at first, but you guys you butted up right next to each other as far yeah. as territories, right? So yeah, we there was a little bit of competition involved at first, oh, wasn't there? Hundred um, percent. You know, there's stories of Josh sneaking into my territory and stealing Allegedly. junk. Yeah, won't get into that, but you know that may have happened once or twice. Uh, that's how the rumor goes, but. No, I mean, we were competing, but we were friendly, and uh, the the guy that owned the, the Johnson County location wanted to sell, so Josh said, hey, I know a guy who will buy it. Um, so kind of a year into, into that path, uh, I was able to buy uh, Johnson County as well, which was doing, I want to say like $450,000, $500,000 a year in revenue. Fortunately, uh, at that point, somehow I convinced a bank to give me another loan, and uh, I don't think my parents had, I know my parents didn't have another house to put on the line. Um, but yeah, so that, that transformed the business, um, getting a little bit more revenue on the books. And, uh, at that point, Josh and I started working together and we were off and running. Yeah, that's cool. Sounds like you had a lot of people betting on you in the early days, Sarah, your parents, Josh, 
you know, people knew what they were believing in and they were putting it behind you, man, because they knew what you were going to go out there and essentially deliver for them. I, I don't know. I don't know why they believed in me, <laughs> um, but I'm very, very grateful that they did because um, wouldn't be here without That's a awesome. lot of people supporting me along the very way. Cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, the powerful thing is like, on this journey, you can't do the do things alone, right? And so having someone that believed in you uh, to have your back like that is truly inspiring. And to know how many people out there that you've had their back, you know, like, in order to put yourself in a position like that to lead at such a high level, you know, what was your why originally? And how has it kind of evolved over the years, you know, as you've moved along your journey? Yeah, I mean, I think early on, uh, a young guy coming up, like, truthfully, the motivation was money, right? Like, I just, I wanted to, to make money and be successful, and um, some of that was out of necessity. I'm sure there's plenty of pride and ego in there, if I'm honest, but, um, you know, along the way, uh, I had some good mentors, and it's transitioned, really, just to creating an environment where other people can thrive in, so, you know, creating opportunities for other people, um, watching other people be successful, that's awesome. And it's awesome when, like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not dragging anybody along the way, but just kind of helping create an ecosystem where, you know, people can figure it out on their own and uh, come up and improve their lives. That's Absolutely, cool. man. And, you know, you've obviously had a huge impact on my life, man. Like, completely, I, tell, I text you all the time, like, man, if it wasn't for you, I don't know where I'd be. I know Aaron can kind of attest to the same oh, things. Yeah. But, like... I know you're not a big, uh, you know, hoorah, like, I need the praise or anything like that, but I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, man, thank you, you know, for, for all that you've invested into us. And, like, I want to ask you the question, how does it feel to know that you've impacted so many lives, like, not just in Kansas City now, but, like, across the country, man? Like, how does that sit on you, uh, you know, right now? Yeah, I mean, thank you, <laughs> by the way. But, um, I mean, it feels great, obviously, to – uh, to see people that I know and care about, um, you know, be at a better position than they were uh, when I first met them. And, you know, I'm glad that I played a, a small part in that. Um, you know, if I'm being honest, like, I feel a lot of pressure and responsibility still. Like, when I met you, you, I don't know, how old were you when you started at Junk? Man, I was 20, 24. Yeah, yeah 24. 24. So, like, I never wanted to let you down, yeah. but like now you've got Rachel yeah. and you've got four kids yeah. and you've got Heather yep. and yep. your kids. And um, I mean, if I'm being honest, like, I mean, we've convinced people to move all over the country and you did it in Salt Lake City. And, you know, there's countless others that have done it. Um, you know, there's a massive sense of responsibility to not let people down. So, I mean, I, I love it that we've had success and I love, you know, all the good things that have happened. Um, but there's still a lot of pressure to uh, fulfill the promises that we've made and make it worthwhile for everybody at the end of the day. Absolutely, man. And, and I would say, you know, you're a big person that inspires me um, to keep going and just to see most people would think that this was all just handed to you, right? And like, I think now that the listeners are going to hear your story and kind of your upbringing, how you've got it to, to where you've gotten it, you know, as I tell you, you inspire me. Who inspires you? Like, you know, there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there along the journey, but like when you think of like that one or those two people that really inspire you, man, like who comes top to top of mind for you? The people that 
I respect the most are the ones who've gone through shit that have felt pain. Um, so, like, I mean, you've got to understand, like, we've been doing this for 17 years. Like, we didn't really have that much success until, I mean, the, the upswing really happened in kind of 15, 16, 17, 18. But, like, I mean, we got into it in 07. We didn't hit a million dollars until 2012. We didn't hit $10 million until, shoot, I mean, 2016, 17, and like just a few years ago, we were at 25 million, and now we're talking, you know, hopefully 200 million next year. So, like, it's a hockey stick, right? Like, the, the, the grind and the, frankly, the shit that we went through for a really, really, really long period of time, like, it wasn't like six months or a year or two years or five years, like it was a decade. So like the, the people that give me inspiration um, are, are the people that showed me that that's the way that it's to be done. Like if you're, if you're looking for a life hack, like just be willing to feel pain. Like that is the, the biggest life hack in the world. Success is on the other side of pain and the more pain that you're willing to take, um, chances are the more successful you'll be. So I mean, I can talk about my dad and all the stuff that he did to um, scrape out an existence and make our life better. And I could talk about my uh, uncle, who was a big influence on my life. Um, you know, my parents were fantastic, super, super supportive, um, safe environment that I grew up in, which not everybody has. So I was very, very blessed in that sense. Um, what was special about my uncle, I went and lived with him. Uh, and he had an abundance mindset. There wasn't a, a fixed mindset, like anything in the world was possible for him in the kind of that environment uh, that I was working at uh, out in California at that company. So like I kind of got both ends of the spectrum, um, but in, in both situations, I kind of learned from, I guess my family, um, that you gotta be willing to feel pain for a long period of time, like a long period of time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that number 762 that, that's etched in your mind. Like, I love hearing you say that. And I know, man, like, you'll always come back to that number. But, you know, what I appreciate about you, Tyler, is, you know, the stuff that we did in the early days, the stuff that you did in the early days, that's still the same mindset. And that's still how we practice these days, right? Like, it's, it's you know, the willingness to go above and beyond and get stuff done. And, you know, not being content or complacent in anything you're in. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is very, very cool. I think, you know, the, the two times, I guess not the two times, but the, the two times that I could think of when you really come alive at work, right? Like when you're buying a business <laughs> and when you're sending somebody to go run that business, right? Yeah. Like those are, when, when I think of Tyler Stizak and I think of his why, that's what I think of, man. I think there's nothing more you appreciate more than finding a business and purchasing a business. And then to top that, uh, sending somebody uh, that, you know, was developed in your system uh, onto that because, man, that's something truly special. And that's something you've done for a lot, a lot of people. And I think we all appreciate that. And we all appreciate, you know, where it started. And I think, you know, that's why we wanted to have you on here first and foremost is because, you know, a lot of people don't know those stories and a lot of people don't know what the grind was or, you know, that there was no tomorrow unless you made $762 on the day. Mm -hmm. So you had to take that hot tub for $25 you know, every uh, day, every, <laughs> every single day. day right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think those are really, really inspiring stories. So I love hearing those. Um, 
and I hope the listeners will get the same out of it. So, uh, all right, let's go back a little bit. So, you know, first Hobby Lobby check, you opened up an E-Trade account. Uh, so it says, yeah. that's pretty damn cool. I don't know if anybody accurate. knows what E-Trade is. Does E-Trade still exist? Uh, E-Trade still exists. <laughs> I think maybe they got bought up by somebody, but whatever. It's an online stock trading so. account. But yeah, so I was, uh, I was 16 years old, I believe. Uh, I, I, you can't open up an account when you're 16. You need your parents to like co-sign <laughs> on a custodial account. Uh, so yeah, my first thousand dollars that I ever made was 4.25 an hour at Hobby Lobby. It was a good wage. There you go. Minimum wage. Uh, I saved up a thousand dollars, and that, yeah, that's what I did with the first thousand dollars I ever made. So so, you know, finances have always been very very important to you ever since an early age, and you know I know that's something that you know maybe not a, a lot of us growing up. Uh, really have a good foundation or knowledge of, um, you know, myself, you've given me a lot of advice over the years on just, you know, finances, how to handle certain things, what certain things mean. Uh, but, you know, for our listeners out there, to you, you know, why is financial literacy so important? And maybe for the listeners, you know, some advice on maybe getting a hold of their finances right now. I know we did a podcast on Stoop Stories previously, where we, which is a fantastic one. Go back and look at that one on Stoop Stories if you can, because there's a lot of good information on there. Uh, but what kind of advice would you give to them? Yeah, I would say I can't, can't overstate the importance of uh, just financial uh, independence and acumen. Uh, so, I mean, the fact is, if your finances are messed up, your life is messed up. Right. Um, there's just no way around it. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. doesn't matter how great you are at your job. doesn't matter how good of a husband you are, uh, wife, whatever. Like if your personal finances are jacked up, it's going to infect every other aspect of your life. Um, and you're probably not going to be very, very happy. And that's just, that's just the, the truth of it. Um, you can't sugarcoat it. So, um, you know, I think it's very, very normal that people want to, have nice things and buy stuff and you know whether it's for the enjoyment of the, an experience or a car or a house or whatever like I'm not not human <laughs> like I like all of those things too um, but for some reason early on um, I realized how important having my financial house in order was uh, and the cool thing that happened along the way kind of the the mindset shift that happened is, you know, I, I spent a thousand dollars and I opened up an E-Trade account uh, and I bought a stock and then I lost some money. Um, and then I bought a stock and I made some money. And, what was the know, first stock? Uh, first stock was Qualcomm. Okay. Uh, so Qualcomm is a like a computer chip uh, technology company uh, that goes into your cell phone, Qualcomm Stadium in San yeah. Diego. Yeah. Uh, you might know that. So this is, God's honest truth. So I spent a thousand dollars on Qualcomm stock, held it for maybe three or four months, uh, sold it for six hundred dollars approximately. I lost four hundred dollars. I lost forty percent of my first thousand dollars I ever made in yeah. life working for four twenty-five an hour at Hobby Lobby. If I had just held on to that Qualcomm stock, I looked at this, I don't know, year year and a half ago. I can't remember exactly what the number was. It'd be worth like $350,000 or right. something like that. Swear to God. <laughs> yeah, like, you run that no, number every year. <laughs> no bullshit. Like that's actually God's honest truth, uh, what it would have been. So there's there's a good, uh, you know, learning for everybody is like, you got to have patience uh, in your investments. But I don't know. 
investing and like even the poker playing and just I developed this mindset of just figuring out a way to stack up small wins and just small win, small win, small win, small win, just, you know, hit singles for a sports analogy. And if you hit enough singles, you're going to score some runs and win some games. Um, and then just the, you know, being able to delay gratification, like just uh, understanding the process and knowing that you're working towards something bigger and building something. Um, I don't know. That's what those early days of, you know, buying some Qualcomm stock and losing and working some more hours at Hobby Lobby to make a few more bucks and all of that stuff. It's like one piece of advice you gave me years ago, and I don't know if you remember it, but you, you know, it was in the early days when we, we first started getting promoted, maybe to ops manager or something, you said, you know, if you could just get a promotion, not increase your spending habits, not do anything, but wait maybe until the next promotion. So always live one promotion behind as far as your life. Uh, keeping up with your professional life. But that's always something that's been ingrained in my mind and still something that I tell people uh, in our businesses. You know, just a little piece of advice that I got from you early on. Yeah. It was very At the end of the day, you will get way more uh, sense of peace and accomplishment through delayed gratification and, you know, live for tomorrow, not for today as Absolutely. much. Like, you got to live in the moment sometimes and there's, you know, proper balance to those things. But uh, as a society, I think we're very, very good right now of living in the moment. We're not so good about, um, you know, saving, investing, and sacrificing for the future. And if you do, you'll be happy that you did. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you told me, Bryce, live like you're broke for four years, man. You, you can do that. You know, it's like going to college, right? Yeah. You live like you're broke. You save your money. Uh, and you also, you know, one thing that stuck to me was death by a thousand cuts, right? Like going to the gas station and getting food and drinks and all like, like every morning, that stuff, that stuff adds up over time, man. And so, you know, that's something that's always stuck for me. And to be honest, ever since I met you, that was the first time I had ever hit like a financial goal in like my savings account it was just like living by that and still made mistakes along the way, but I still come to you for, for all financial advice for sure. Aaron, you remember <laughs> when we used to say we make our money $50 at a time? 100%. You remember that? So oh, yeah. that, that was the motto at junk. Like, Every decision we make, you know, send a truck from A to B, dump a truck, don't dump a truck, take a job for a discount, whatever, we make our money $50 at a time, you lose your money $50 at a time too, and that's true whether we're talking a junk business or a MVP business or whatever it is, or in your personal life, you know, the worst thing in the world is to look at your credit card statement at the end of the month, and, you know, it's some big god-awful number, and you go through the list of transactions to look for the big one that messed you up, and there's no big one. <laughs> it's all 50 bucks, 50 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't have you don't have anything to show for it, really. Like, quick trip was good. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's like, immediately what I think yeah. in my head, too. The quick trip stops throughout the day, we'll crush somebody. Yes. I can let them blur the vision. Started from the bottom, but I promise I'm a breakthrough. I ain't been on business. This is how I'm living every day. I'm trying to make moves, focus on the mission. Ain't no competition anyway that they gon' break you. They gon' need a village. They gon' need a village cause they messin' with the realest. Woo!